it's not always the neurodiverse person that is the toxic one, as you and I have talked about. Sometimes a neurotypical person, and I was pretty toxic as a neurotypical in my first marriage, so I'm going to speak and on that. Also just want to say thank you for acknowledging that your toxicity in your marriage. I have had this, I talk about my codependency all the time. I am what I consider codependent in recovery. I think if I could change one thing about legislature for women in this country, it would be that all states have to have legal separation and child support and spousal support so that people could live apart mm -hmm. and then recover enough to come back into the marriage. I've had so many people say this to me after divorce. They, when they're after the divorce, they're like, I thought, it, I thought things were going to get better. I think this was, I thought this was going to be better. This is season three of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship podcast, which is for adults in all kinds of neurodiverse relationships, not just romantic partnerships. I'm your host, Jody Carlton, and I've spent close to two decades growing in my understanding of how our different brains influence the way we understand and relate to each other. Through the years, I've helped several thousand people understand themselves and their loved ones. This podcast is a place where I come together with others to talk about their journeys. I've got a great lineup of guests talking about things like masking, traits of neurodivergent folks, traits of neurotypical folks, what kind of things cause difficulties in our neurodiverse relationships, but also some of the wonderful things about our neurodiverse relationships. Also, this season is a video cast where you can enjoy watching on YouTube or you can listen to us on the podcast like you have before. If you're really enjoying this podcast and if you've gotten something out of it, please leave us a review because reviews really matter. And we wanna get this out there to as many people as possible so they can benefit from it just like you. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe so you'll get notifications of upcoming podcasts and other videos that I post there as well. Welcome. What will we talk about today? Hi folks, today is part two of my discussion with Barbara Grant, who is also a neurodiversity coach and a relationship therapist. If you missed part one, be sure and go back and listen to it. Our conversation has been really great from the perspective of therapists who also have had neurodiverse marriages and other relationships with people who are neurodiverse. We talk in both parts about being in those relationships, but also the challenges for therapists and coaches recognizing neurodiversity and for couples to get help and to find therapists who really understand neurodiversity and how to help you. So both parts of my conversation with Barbara are definitely worth a listen. There's a grieving component for both people. They're yep. grieving separate things, but they have to grieve. They have to be confirmed mm -hmm. and supported. So it, that's why most licensed therapists who have no neurodiverse specialty, I think it blows up because the individuals come with all of these trauma problems, individual needs, and they just start trying to how do we save the marriage? And they can't even be in the same room with each other no. for good reasons, for good reasons. I'm so glad you brought that up because I 100% agree with you on that because there's so many different things that need to be addressed with each person individually. And yeah. in my opinion, what I tell clients, I'm pro-human being. And if that means we can save a marriage, fantastic. I'm not in favor of a marriage dissolving, but 
what I tell folks is, okay, you've got this new framework. They may be six months into dating or they may be 35 years into a marriage. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you've got this new framework that you didn't have when you first met. Your relationship is built on confusing differences in language and expectations and neurology. Now you have this framework. The only way you can really choose your partner is for you to go back and figure out who your partner is and who you are, you know, who you are at this point, because otherwise you don't even know what you're choosing. And so we have to back it up so that you can really understand yourself, understand your partner, and then choose all over again or recommit with an understanding of, oh, this is what I'm dealing with. I don't believe that it's a healthy situation when both individuals can take ownership and work to grow and improve any toxicity in the marriage. It's just not healthy. I've seen situations where for one reason or the other, and it's not always the neurodiverse person that is the toxic one, as you and I have talked about, sometimes a neurotypical person and I was pretty toxic as a neurotypical in my first marriage. So I'm going to speak and own that. There's so much anger, fear, bitterness, just feeling violated, feeling like a victim, having been victimized. And until you get past that victim mentality, you pretty much don't want to take responsibility for anything yeah. and see how you can grow. It, it is so convenient to blame the neurodiverse person. And when I challenge neurotypicals, like we talked about this, some of them are like, this is not what I signed up for. And when I say challenge, it's more of an invitation to growth again and healing, growth and healing. Because I think a lot of us, in fact, I've heard Mark, oh, what's his name? Mark Hutton? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We heard a, a podcast where he talks about how the anger and the bitterness is so toxic and draining to neurotypicals or neurodiverse people that they can control that. They have a choice there. And for them to decide, okay, I'm going to move past this and let go of this. And I can't maybe change my spouse. I can't maybe change my marriage, but I can change me. And And that's where the personal empowerment comes in. I, yeah, so to piggyback on what you're saying there, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started the podcast taping. I've run into that quite a bit. The three things that I say are the pillars of a relationship working are capacity, willingness, and motivation. And you've mentioned motivation several times today. And first we have to look at capacity. And sometimes there are just real limitations to interpersonal connection and with neurodiversity, but also for neurotypical partners, sometimes there are personality challenges, trauma, that the trauma. Even past trauma, before this relationship trauma. So all of those things are factors in the capacity, that willingness, like you said. And I totally agree with you that for to work on the actual relationship, like you said back a few minutes ago, it can only work when both partners are capable, motivated, and willing. Now, I do believe that you can help one partner understand it better. You can help them understand what's happening for them, understand what they're seeing. But it's going to be more of a personal growth and development. And then if that spouse is not willing or motivated or capable, 
then that's where the, okay, this is what I'm choosing comes in. This is what I've got. This is what I'm choosing. But I also just want to say thank you for acknowledging that your toxicity in your marriage. I have had this, I talk about my codependency all the time. I am what I consider codependent in recovery. And sometimes it still rears its ugly head because it's, I consider it a form of addiction in of itself. And I know that in my marriage, my 19 year marriage, I look back and, you know, I know why I was codependent. I can look at the roots of that into my, my family system and in childhood. But I didn't know, I didn't, I was not aware of it. And I know now I can see a lot of the toxic traits or extremely dysfunctional. I cannot draw the line with toxic and dysfunctional. Toxicity is a lifelong commitment to dysfunction. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Intentionality there too. I think sometimes, whereas to me, dysfunction is something we can, if someone wants to learn and grow, we can work with that. That's how most of us are. We're, and it's all what the standard is when you're three, your functionality at age three would be considered highly dysfunctional at age 15. A 15 year old's functionality would not be considered optimal for a 35 year old. Yes. So it's all about what level you're at and what you're, that's where capacity comes in, I think is what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And something important to note with that is that from a developmental standpoint, some people really don't for whatever reason, sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's the brain wiring. It's the actual neurology that you have. Some people don't developmentally get past a certain developmental stage in life, whether it's that middle school, adolescent, early, early adult, or even personality development. We see this with personality disorders that that window closes after a certain time. And no matter how much we want a partner or want somebody to learn and grow, if that capacity is not there, it's important to at some point be able to recognize, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. And now I have a choice to make. It, that's not a simple choice. It's not. not. And I think the word choice is so important. I have had clients decide to separate and decide to divorce. And I, I'm sad when they, one of them decides to divorce in anger, in bitterness, in fear, mm-hmm. in sort of desperation. Unfortunately, there are some states, I think Georgia is one of them, that has no legal separation. Yes. There's no legal separation. And I think if I could change one thing about legislature for women in this country, it would be that all states have to have legal separation and child support and spousal support so that people could live apart mm-hmm. and sanity and then recover enough to come back into the marriage. Of course, I guess you could get divorced and remarried. But it's sad because some women just on a survival level are forced with needing to divorce in order that they can get some space and time away in a different living situation. I think that when people make that decision, that big life decision from a place of pain, fear, desperation, they have to do what they're going to do. But there is going to be fallout from that. In their own mm-hmm. lives, it it will take longer to heal from that. It'll because the divorce itself is a traumatizing experience. Having been yeah. through, I, I know that, and the kids, if there are kids involved, that's additionally traumatizing. So, taking the time to 
own your stuff as an individual, become the best and healthiest person you can be, uh, have good healthy boundaries, communicate well, set an example for your children, and also a parent that is able to model healthy communication, healthy relationship with their own kids, whether the other spouse, whether they're the toxic neurotypical toxic neurotypical one, the parent who is taking responsibility can have tremendous impact on the children by modeling that and having healthy relationships with them because the marriage may not last. But you're always going to be the parent of your kids. Just had this conversation with a couple last week who who met with me for consultation and she's already just checking out and thinking about divorce. And I'm like, okay, I'm not here to convince you one way or the other, and but something to think about. And I've had so many people say this to me after divorce, that when they're after the divorce, they're like, I thought it, I thought things were going to get better. I think this was, I thought this was going to be better. And I'm like, there, there are some things that that are going to be better, but your the relationship you have with your ex is not going to just get better because you don't live in a marriage anymore. But the thing is, you're going to be connected to that person. If you have children, you will be connected as long as your children are alive, which hopefully is the rest of your life. And and the likelihood of one of those children having neurodiversity is extremely high. Or a grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it is so beneficial, even if you come to the conclusion, that choice, that the marriage is not right for you. It is still so important to continue to learn about neurodiversity and to continue to grow in your relationship with that ex-partner just as a parent, together as parents. And yet that person may or may not be on board, but you can continue to grow because you want to, my goal in my personal life, I'll just share personally. So I have the 20, 20 year old, a 17 year old, he just turned 17 this week and I, I can't get my head around it. but. So I have those two. They both have their own versions of neurodiversity. Their dad is undiagnosed, but definitely has neurodivergent. Their grandmother's neurodivergent. And so my goal is to teach them as much as I can possibly teach them about their neurodiversities and about their relationships with others in their life, with the people in their family, but with their friendships, with their, yeah, like my daughter has a job, just coworkers. Yeah. And so it is still just so valuable, even if your marriage, if you're struggling in a marriage and you think, oh, we need counseling, we need help, or if you've decided to end your marriage, if there's neurodiversity there, it's still so helpful and important to still continue that journey of understanding it. I would agree so 2000% with you. And what I love that you said about teaching your children to understand their identity how they were made, how they're going to be, what their opportunities are, mm-hmm. lean into that, not to be afraid of it, not to be ashamed of it. And you said not just their future spouses, how they might relate, but their friends, mm-hmm. each other, with their coworkers. So I'm going to brag about a client I have. He was he's very neurodiverse, and his mm-hmm. wife was a very traumatized, neurotypical, but they she more than him had family of origin trauma issues. Mm-hmm. And she quickly, quicker than not, she pulled back from coaching and said she didn't want to participate anymore. But he was so hooked on the things he was learning 
And not just reading and listening, because uh, I send homework every time you meet with me, you get homework. He was implementing and applying things. And he would come to sessions going, Barbara, this is what happened. And this is how it went. And I felt really great about that. And he was telling other people about what he was learning and making himself accountable to people in his life. Being open with his children. One of the things I have neurodiverse parents do is to look back at their parenting years, especially if their kids are older, and consider maybe your neurodiversity impacted your kids in a way that you didn't know. And maybe write them a letter with an open, loving invitation for them to share with you things that they feel about what it was like to be your child and be open to the input and feedback you might get. Not that it's going to be a bitch session now, but that you can begin to repair and encourage and reform those relationships going forward. This guy, I tell you, he's so A plus in my book. He, <laughs> but he's been at it now for two years with me and he's faithful about his appointments. He's faithful about his homework and he is getting such results. Mm. He's becoming such an amazing, such a different person. And he can look back and say, oh, I used to do that, but I'm not doing that anymore. Now I'm doing this and this is how I handle that. So when you said capacity, sometimes until people try, they don't know what their capacity is. Yeah. No. They're motivated. I don't think there's any limit to capacity. I'm glad you shared that story because I really discourage, like in my my Facebook group, there I see the word they sometimes like they this, they that. And I'm like, hold up. We're not gonna, we're not gonna they anybody because everybody has their own unique abilities and capacity and People will ask me, can neurodiverse relationships even work? And I'm like, yeah, because I've got a relationship with my daughter and, you know, it, there, and it's a good one. And okay, that's not a romantic or intimate relationship, but the concept is still the same. And so one thing that I, when you tell stories like that, and then I've got some success stories that I've shared publicly too, is that when I work with clients who, are struggling with people, with partners who don't have the capacity, or maybe there is there are just a lot of other layers influencing what's going on for both sides. It's not always about the neurodiversity. It's the, and that's why when the capacity is there, when both partners are willing, and in this situation, the partner wasn't even willing, but the neurodiverse individual was, and he's learning a lot. So. I want to just adamantly stress to people who are listening that neurodivergence does not prohibit people no. just the board from learning and growing and really developing new skills. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. And it's proven we can't change our IQ. Our IQ is a set given, but our EQ, our emotional intelligence, is definitely something all of us can grow. With yeah. a certain amount of willingness, motivation. We all have more capacity to mature emotionally than where we are at each of us today. Mm -hmm. so, again, as we're talking, I'm realizing that there are so many people that are beginning to learn to be ADHD coaches, or even some organizations are certifying coaches who are maybe not clinically trained, but are individuals with some coaching background. 
And I would caution the listeners, if you're working with somebody, you want to have somebody who is trained in a broader, deeper clinical, psychological, marriage and family therapies, family systems level. So there's past stuff that comes up. And not that every person, I'm not going to necessarily treat sexual abuse trauma when you were five, but I can identify it and point you in the direction. I have sent people, I said, you have PTSD from when your sister got killed in front of your eyes when she was hit by a car. You would do well to find yourself a trauma Mm -hmm. therapist and go deal with that piece of your life because that has nothing to do with your marriage. Your super sensitivity and your traumatized neurology, because anybody who's been traumatized has a heightened fight, flight, or freeze. Their alarm system is on high alert. system is like high alert. It's called enemy mode in a podcast that Dr. Stephanie Holmes recently did. And it's exactly that. We're all on hyper alert and very touchy or sensitive or too triggerable. So that has nothing to do with the neurodiverse marriage. It contributes to it, but it's not. Yeah. yeah. The relationship is maybe triggering some of those issues. Those right. issues aren't going to be fixed by fixing the marriage. As a matter of fact, those it issues triggers. need to be healed in right. to help the marriage. I totally, yeah, I agree with you there because my, I have, I'm trauma certified as a clinician. So like you said, and part of that was because there's just so much trauma with the people that I work with, just so much trauma. But like you said, I'm trained to do some of the trauma modalities, but most often I very rarely get into the trauma work with my clients. Every now and then, it just depends on the situation. I'll do some level of trauma work with them. But most of the time, I'm hooking them up with an EMDR therapist local or an accelerate resolution therapist, some somebody. Right who's trained in trauma that can work with them locally and in person. And that, like you were saying about supplemental work, that's a supplement to the work that we're doing about neurodiversity. There's just so many layers. It's in, in my communication program, I talk about the backpack and everybody here on the podcast hears it all the time. What, what's in our backpack is everything that makes us who we are, that, that we bring to every interaction and all of that stuff's in there. And I agree with you that people who at least have training in recognizing mental health issues and dynamics are the most equipped to be able to identify what needs the work and what where you need help and to make sure you're getting a broad spectrum yeah. of help. Because if you just focus on the executive functioning issues of ADHD, but you're not even, someone's not even aware that the, some of this is rooted in trauma, then it's, you may be wasting your time. And, and I would get it some, but I know because I'm family systems trained. One of the things I love about the perspective I did get in school was that there are many people in the problem. It's not just one individual or another individual. There's a system that these people reside in. And you have to look at the whole system. The system includes general medical, physical health. It includes economic status. It includes culture, what culture are you in? It includes educational resources. It includes finances. Yep. As a coach, I my aperture is pretty wide in terms of what I'm looking at when yeah. people 
come in and how I assess people. I'm yeah. assessed very broadly, very deep and very broad. And I, because we identify goals on many levels, and not everything is top priority, of course. You can't get financial help and parenting help and help with neurodiversity and help with the sex life. You have to take it in pieces. Yeah. I I have really worked hard and I'm, as you are too, we're growing our arsenal of tools, resources, and other referred professionals that I can say, okay, I think you guys really need to go through this financial coaching program. Or you need to find somebody either in the community who's a financial analyst or a coach or go to your church and see if they have a financial resource. Because money is a big piece of what's going weird in these marriages. How money is dealt with, often I see that. And that's true in most marriages. Yeah, Um, not just neurodiverse. That's a big one. Yeah. So just teaching them how to better communicate isn't going to support them in getting the step-by-step help they need to really retool their lives. I also do a lot of parenting coaching because they there's so much disruption and often fighting and triangles forming and everything that the parents aren't unified in a plan. How are we going to discipline these kids? What program are we going to use? Is there going to be a a consequence for a chore that wasn't done? How do we do that? We get very granular and that's life. That's their real life. So once they get the hang of the neurodiversity, now they have to bring it into their lives and on their and their developmental strengths. If they've done some healing, some forgiving, now they're better communicating. They're a better team. Okay, now let's go solve some problems. Yeah. Let, let me support and help you because I have relationships with you and I've been through all this in my life. And yes, so I, I'm not the expert in everything, but I have resources and I can guide and coach you as you get your help and your life together. Yeah. And I will say that there are some couples I've had that have graduated from now they're on maintenance and I see them once every three to five months. And I send a certificate like you have completed <laughs> the roadmap to couples coaching and all. And it's, Feels like an accomplishment, it's, it, and it is. It really is. The systems, the family systems theory. I I can't stress that that enough. That's where my backpack and analogy. That's where that comes from because all the systems that are in your backpack. And my master's was more of a broader counseling master's, but I did a whole section on marriage and family and systems, and I latched onto that even in my twenties when I went through my master's program, and that's been the root of my of the work that I've done is the system and looking at, and also before I got into counseling, well, not before, before I got into neurodiversity and autism, my main specialty was brain injury. So I I was a counselor, but I worked in cognitive rehab. So I learned so much about how the medical aspect of things and even the neurology of sex, our personality and our relationships, and it just all goes into the pot. And so we can't just look at this little thing here. We have to look at all of it. So all of you listening or watching on YouTube, one of the biggest takeaways that I would love for you to go with today is that when, you know, if you're thinking about going to find a therapist or a coach for your marriage, for your relationship, 
Find somebody who's willing to look at all of those different things. And that may feel like, eek, ugh, I don't want to look at me. I really prefer looking at that over there, that neurodiversity. I know that it feels safer in a way. But really, if you truly want to improve your relationship, it's important to be willing to look at all of it. And so that's your portion of it. And I actually have people say to me, and it's such a legit feeling of I've already done so much of the work myself. It's my partner's turn. And I get that. I get that sentiment. However, doing the work doesn't mean a lot of what these folks have done is they've taken on, they've done a lot of work, but they've taken on some accountability and and some of the responsibility for their yeah. partner. When, and that's a codependent type trait. But in reality, doing the work is helping them to learn not to do that, to learn how I've contributed to this by over-functioning. Over-functioning, exactly, and learning how to not do that, which is not easy. It's not easy. I had to learn well, how to You and I were talking about self-care earlier, and self-care is an ongoing life requirement to be a healthy individual. And who knows, the marriage may not last for various reasons, mm -hmm. but you're always going to be who you are. And don't you want to have the most healthy, happy, balanced, sane, robust, integrated life that you can have? Yeah. That's what people should be coming to coaching to get their best selves mm -hmm. versus my best marriage. Because I always tell people, look, the marriage is a house that's built of building components, meaning you and your spouse. Mm -hmm. And if you guys are warped, termite infested, moldy, rotten wood, the house is going to be what it's made out of. Yep. So do your part, be the pillar you want to be. And the other person ideally is becoming their better selves. And then the marriage is going to get better. But it's yeah. on an individual level that you have to take responsibility. And again, if the marriage doesn't last or if one partner drops out, that doesn't mean that there's no growth for you. Or there's yeah, it no doesn't mean that it was wasted time. No. no, because you, I tell people, you are truly the only person that you will live the rest of your life with. <laughs> you, there ain't no divorcing yourself. No, yeah, you're not divorcing you. And so it, it, the more you can work on improving your own life, the better your other relationships will be. Barbara, this has been such a good, I knew it was going to be great. And it was. What is your, do you have any final takeaways or any, anything that you'd like to share? I would love for anybody with any questions or just wants to pick my brain to give me a holler on my website. They can www.hopeforcouples.net. And that will be in our show notes as well. Okay. That'll take them to the page where they can request a free 25 minute session. I have groups that are starting. In fact, just today, a, a new man reached out to me who's a neurotypical husband married to a neurodiverse wife. He's committed to the marriage. Mm -hmm. They've had a lot of coaching, but he needs more support. And I now have a small group of neurotypical men that are meeting regularly, talking about their marriages, their lives, supporting each other, helping each other. I have groups of neurotypical women who are meeting. And I'm getting ready to handpick three or four to put into a neurodiverse man's group. I think especially when you're working on relationships, 
is important because unless you're willing to get real with other people than just your spouse and you see your need for practicing relationally with other people than either just your spouse or kids, you're not going to have the growth you could have. I think groups are such a powerful thing. And some people are nervous about being in a group, but I've never had a group where people joined it and said that was the worst thing ever. I've honestly never had that experience. I've done groups in the past. I don't have any that I'm running right now, but they're just so wonderful. So if you are interested, do reach out to Barbara. Thanks again so much. I'm thrilled that you were able to be on the show. And I knew based on the, when we first met that this would be a good conversation and I totally was at this point. And I want to cheer you on in your efforts to get people in our space, the professionals unified and trying to talk to one another, to share the knowledge base, share best practices, learn from each other. Because this is a, a new cutting edge frontier of knowledge. Very few people have it and sharing it. I love your spirit of that. And what Barbara's talking about, and if you're a therapist listening, is I've been putting together a, a group of providers of neurodiverse professionals that work in this space so that we can do peer support and mentoring and just to support each other, to get to know each other and to have a network of providers so that we can make sure that we know who else is offering what and where we can send people and also just to learn from each other. So if you're interested in that, definitely reach out to me. Get help at jodycarlton.com is also in the show notes. You can contact me about that. So thanks again, Barbara. I'm so glad you were here. And yes, definitely we'll have to do it again. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much to all of my guests of season three of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship podcast. These folks are bringing their lives to you to help all of you out there who are trying to figure out your own relationships. If you'd ever be interested in being on a podcast, just email us at gethelp at jodycarlton.com. Also, be sure to visit me online at jodycarlton.com to see all the resources that I have available to you. Until next time.